0: It's always exciting this time of year for our our graduates at really all levels. There's a number of people graduating, not just in our high schools, and uh, so excited about uh, what's going on and what God has in store and the way He's equipped and prepared uh, for whatever is next. Uh, One of the things that uh, we just want to focus on this morning, and in the 11 o'clock service, our high school seniors uh, will all be in here, uh, the bulk of them, Uh, but I want to speak this morning to them uh, but something that I learned a long time ago in preaching that was helpful to me on days like this uh, is that if we speak speak to a particular group of people uh, no matter what area of life you're in you'll end up applying it for yourself. You'll either take yourself back into something with gratitude or something will strike you about where you are now Uh, And so as we think about our high school graduates today uh, and and think that specifically, I trust that God will do a work within each of us as well. Uh, And just a reminder that when we come to worship, we're not necessarily coming so that we can figure out and get something. We're coming to worship God, to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind, uh, and to end it on Him. Uh, And then things will overflow out of that, Uh, but in our teaching, in our singing, our praying and everything, we want to give to God this morning the glory that He deserves. One of the things that we're seeing all across our country uh, are students uh, that are wholeheartedly uh, resolved to following after Christ. Uh, We're seeing it on every campus, we're seeing it uh, all across the land. I've mentioned multiple times we were with 60,000 18 to 25 year olds that gathered in Atlanta, Georgia a few months ago to worship God. They didn't just drift there, they just didn't walk by somewhere in Atlanta and say, hey, I think I'll go check that out. They on purpose went to be with 60,000 of their friends to worship God. Uh, And that is happening, maybe not 60,000 at a time, but there are gatherings of students all over the country today that are worshiping Him. One of those is Bethany Teary. She was one that came through our student ministry at 121 and probably years before that. She was part of our kids as well and uh, and what God was doing here in her. She's at Biola University in California, uh, and a year ago after her uh, first year at school, she served in summer missions. Uh, She gave her summer away to serve other people in the name of Christ. This coming summer, she's doing the same thing. Uh, She's going to North Africa here shortly. uh, And in North Africa, she'll be working with a team of six college students uh, with an unreached people group where they'll be doing sports ministry, teaching English, helping refugee kids, and and bringing the gospel to bear uh, in all of those different activities for her summer. In her newsletter, as she just kind of gave us things to pray for her as she moved into this summer, she reflected back on this last year. And as she reflected on the last year, she was involved in various ministries, different kinds of opportunities to serve God. The very thing we're talking about, being gifted and using those gifts to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God and then to serve other people uh, and serve the common good of the body. Uh, and as she was doing that, just before a missions conference, she wrote, uh, she got sick. Uh, and it shut her down for a little bit. And she realized that why she got sick is because she had been going at such a fast pace. Even in ministry. Even in trying to serve God. And she said she discovered the Sabbath this semester. The Sabbath is a ceasing from normal activity and in Scripture we would understand the Sabbath to be a 24 hour period of time where we cease from all of our normal work. Whatever normal activity is there's a ceasing for a 24 hour period of time. She said the Sabbath now this is a sophomore in college. The Sabbath has now become her favorite day of the week. And she wrote at the end of it she said I've discovered that rest Is actually worship. Calvin Miller wrote years ago in a book called the Table of Inwardness that in retreat there's advancement. Sometimes we think even in Christian ministry that to never break is actually a good thing. The reality is we advance when we rest. I love what God is doing in this student as she prepares to go out to North Africa to serve Jesus Christ with the giftings that God has given her. If you turn turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, we'll be in verses 20 and following into chapter 36. Uh, and looking at a few ideas here to encourage our students and candidly for us to be encouraged today. As you're turning to Exodus, it's in the very front part of your Bible. If you're new to this whole thing, it'd be the very front. If you have a Bible with you, we'll also have the scripture on the screen in just a few minutes to track along uh, as well. We want to always tether ourselves to God's Word uh, and anchor ourselves to Him uh, in the way He's made Himself known to us and today that's where we'll find ourselves as you're doing that quick reminder as we think about 2022 the word that God has given us for the year is the word outside and by that we're challenging ourselves before God to ask him what would he have us to do that's outside of our comfort zone something that would cause us to lean on the spirit of God something we can't do on our own Uh, And it's been exciting to hear different people stepping out in ways uh, that's outside their comfort zone. Using your gift that God has given you, discovering that gift to use in the body of Christ might be the way that you step outside uh, in this season. It could be that this coming week at main street days where we have the opportunity to serve in downtown grapevine that it would be outside your comfort zone to serve in a place with thousands of people milling around in the streets if you have any interest in serving that way uh, please let us know uh, and we'd love for you to be able to Uh, and then uh, not only are we thinking outside our comfort zone we're thinking 121 outdoors what what would it look like if we had small groups of people do the thing that we love to do outdoors with a group of people, some who don't know Christ, some who are stagnant, some who know Christ and, and to do that thing we love to do and then carve out uh, intentional ways that we encounter God in that space. We have two trips coming up if you have an interest. A guy's trip uh, down the Buffalo River in Arkansas, canoe trip in early June, Uh, If you have an interest in that, Eric Estes is leading it. Uh, And then we have another family that's leading a family camping trip uh, in a couple of weeks. If you have an interest in that, we've had multiple people jump on uh, with that one. Great way to meet new people. Great way to be encountered uh, by God himself. Uh, So when we think about the outside, outside our comfort zones, I think for a lot of us, just actually using our gifts would get us outside of our comfort zone. It would get us inside of what God's design is but it might take us outside our own comfort zone a little bit in first corinthians 12 we've looked at the body of Christ it's a it's a metaphor that that Paul gives us to think about the church and he he talks about us as a body and he defines different ways that the body is healthy and unhealthy and we're healthy when we weep together and when we rejoice together today's a day to rejoice and we want to rejoice together today. A healthy body of believers rejoices at those things that we can celebrate. And then we weep where there's grief and where there's hurt and where there's challenge. That's a healthy body. A healthy body also uses the gifts that's been given. And we've looked at a number of those gifts so far. And one of the things I'm so proud of our students and the way that our ministries function at 121 If we don't wait till we're adults to start using our giftings, our children are using their giftings right now in 121 Kids. We have teenagers that have been using teaching gifts to teach preschoolers and children over the years. We have teenagers that have used gifts of hospitality, gifts of leadership, gifts of encouragement. We have teenagers that have been using gifts to serve and to help all kinds of gifts in the body and, and we use them now. We don't wait till later. All of us using our giftings. And as we use those giftings, uh, God uh, is honored uh, in the way that we utilize them. God is glorified. With our graduates today, there will be a number of challenges moving ahead. and. Loads of opportunity for them to thrive and to flourish. A friend of mine sent me a text this week with Philippians chapter 2. And and I read it and I thought, what a good word for today. And in Philippians 2, Paul writes, he says, Don't complain, but rather shine bright in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. See we're not the first ones to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Paul was writing to believers who were living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and his words were not to complain about it but instead shine bright in the midst of it. And and I love that our students are shining bright uh, in the midst of a challenging uh, generation that's Uh, chasing after things other than God Himself. I want to say thank you this morning on their behalf uh, for so many that have surrounded them and loved them over the years. For many of our graduates today, they'll have been here since they were preschoolers. Uh, It's a lot of fun being in a church the age we are uh, because now we're seeing people uh, that have come all the way through Uh, So this isn't just about Jermaine and Courtney's work over the last few years, it's about Pam and all the life group leaders that were serving in creation land and formatively shaping the minds of our kids and helping our parents in that way. It's about 121 Kids and Diana and all the life group leaders in there and the camps and the mission opportunities and the, uh, the word being taught and those leading them on stage and, and creatively telling the stories from Scripture. It's about every life group leader and every person that served a meal to our students and hosted in a home, and, and it's about Jermaine and Courtney and the leadership they've given to our students. They've been surrounded, as Ben Stewart at Breakaway in Texas a m said several years ago, by a ring of counselors parents life group leaders people on our staff coaches in their schools teachers administrators in their schools other parents people have mentored there are so many different adults that have poured into the lives of our kids and our hope is that over time that they latch on to two or three of those Uh, that have really impacted and they stay in touch with and have them to lean on uh, as they continue on into this next season of time. Uh, And so I want us to think this morning uh, out of Exodus uh, for our kids and a renewal maybe in our own hearts today, that we would be resolved to follow after God's heart resolved to follow after God's heart Jonathan Edwards one of the brightest minds in the Christian faith over the centuries uh, when he was a young man set out several resolutions he said I'm resolved to do this I mean it's a it's a uh, it's a pretty strong list but I what I love about what he did he said I'm resolved to this And and my challenge for our students today, as they've been challenged throughout, and for us as a whole, is that we would be resolved to follow God's heart. Now, there are a number of phrases that sound really nice that are in our culture, and candidly, the Christian culture starts picking up on those phrases, and they're secular phrases. They have nothing to do with God. And there's a number of those sitting out there. Be your best self, that would be one of those. Uh, That's not a good one to latch onto. I personally don't want to be my best self. If I was my best self, it's still awful. What I want to be is the best design of God that he wants me to be. And God is the one who's shaping me. I want him to shape me into who he wants me to be. I don't want to be my best self, the best version of myself. Those are very secular phrases that we latch onto. Work-life balance is another one of those that we've grabbed onto. We love the idea of work-life balance. It's not a Christian idea. Uh, It's a Jesus-centeredness we want to be about. And and that will bring about a centeredness, and then we just go with how he leads us. And by the way, work-life balance means how can I work less today? Uh, When the scripture says we work six days, take one off. I'm not sure how we put those two things together. Uh, And so we think about those kind of phrases, and then we think about phrases like this. Just follow your heart. Bad idea, bad idea. So I want us to think about today to be resolved to follow God's heart, to follow God's heart. That's where the greatest joy is. That's where the greatest pleasure is, is following God's heart. So let's look at that in three parts. The first is to have a willing heart. Uh, When we just give a little context here in Exodus in chapter uh, 35 prior to this, uh, God has rescued his people, Israel, uh, out of slavery from Egypt, uh, and he's brought them to a place where he's establishing them now as his people. Uh, when he does this, he establishes covenant with them. He establishes commandments for them to follow uh, and ordinances and laws to obey. Uh, from there, we have the Ten Commandments, which most of us are familiar He then establishes uh, the tabernacle and the place where they are to gather to worship him. And and after establishing all this, we find ourselves in Exodus 35. He's explained how it's going to play out, and now it's time to act. It's time to get it done. And he begins in chapter 35, interestingly, with a re-emphasis on the Sabbath. Just what Bethany discovered a few months ago. Throughout the scriptures, there's an ongoing emphasis of the Sabbath. So he starts by saying they need to, uh, to honor the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Then he talks about the work that they have to do. So it's setting aside this day to honor him, and then it's the work established in verses 20 through 22 of chapter 35 says then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses's presence everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. So what we have here is God has set his design. Here's the plan. Here's the tabernacle that we're to build. And then he's placing it on the hearts of the people to have a willing heart, a stirred heart, to bring what's necessary to build the tabernacle. And as he does that, I think it's notable that he said that those with a willing heart, those who are stirred, I don't see God here forcing anything to happen, forcing anyone to participate. It's everyone whose heart is stirred, And everyone whose heart is moved and who has a willing heart, those are the ones who will bring what's necessary to build the tabernacle. In 35, verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution gold, silver, and bronze. So in two parts of of chapter 35, it's a stirred heart, it's a willing heart, it's a moved heart that brings what's necessary, that's radically giving. Now, how does this play out? Well, we see it play out in chapter 36, verse 7, for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. There was more than enough. They had so much coming that Moses actually had to tell them to quit giving. Now, wouldn't you love it if you showed up one Sunday and and we just said, hey, we don't need you more. Stop giving. (laughs) That's not today. Maybe in the future. (laughs) But in this moment for the tabernacle, there's more than enough. There were more than enough willing hearts that were stirred to give. I think there's interesting principles that flow out of this for us. They had just been enslaved, just delivered. What did they even have to offer? They had to offer the plunder that they took from the Egyptians when they fled Egypt. It wasn't even theirs. Now, are you willing to give what's not even yours? I've been reminded the last couple weeks that our house is not ours. I think it belongs to Atmos Energy or the electric company (laughs) or the water. They've put flags all in our yard. They've painted our street. They've painted our yard. Nobody asked. (laughs) Nobody told us what they were doing. They're just doing it. I'm thinking, who owns the house, me or you? Apparently not me. God writes in Psalm 24, 1 to us that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. See, everything is God's. We really don't own a thing. And when our hearts are stirred, we're just willingly giving back what's been given to us. And the ones who received the greatest joy in this were those who gave. Now, what's our motivation today for a willing heart? If we go to 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, we find a few things there that are helpful. In chapter 8, verse 9, it says uh, that it's, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, our motivator today to have a willing heart to give radically will be what Christ did by giving up everything so that we could have everything. And all we have is his. In St. Corinthians 9 7 then, let each one do just see his purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. See, a heart that's willing then becomes a cheerful heart. They were willingly giving. They were stirred. They were cheerful in their giving. But to even get to a place of being a radical giver and being radically generous and have a heart that wants to give, Paul writes in St. Corinthians 8.5 and said, First, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave. See, Until our hearts have been captured by Christ and given over to Him, there won't be a willing heart to be radically generous with that which God has given us. But once we receive the generosity of Christ's salvation, then our hearts become willing for other things. It's a good way for us to put a check in our spirit. If we're not generous givers, really what we need to go back and ask is, have we really given our hearts over to the Lord? That's the logical root question, because a heart that's been taken over by Christ becomes a real willing and generous heart. Now, the challenge with the human heart in Jeremiah 17, 9 is that it's deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The challenge is we deceive ourselves. We're drifters, Hebrews writes. Be careful that we don't drift. Be careful, in the writer of Hebrews says, that your heart doesn't become hardened. John Calvin describes it this way. He says, our heart is an idol making factory. We so easily make idols. We don't even know we've done it. Sometimes we make idols, usually of good things. We can make idols of our kids where they become the center. When the reality is first, God is the center. If you're married, secondly, your spouse, than the kids. We make idols out of good things. And we can be deceived easily. But there's, there's good news, though, so that, that we don't have to live in deception. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is moreover, I'll give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. He says, there will be a new heart. That new heart is made possible through the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross on our behalf. He died for us. He took our sins. When he was crucified, our sins were crucified. I've been reflecting on that this week, just thinking about in the very core and depth, the very worst of my sin, the blood of Christ has covered it. His grace is way more than sufficient. God was satisfied with what happened on the cross and he raised him from the dead. We too can be risen from dead hearts to alive hearts. This is absolutely crucial that we receive and have a genuine relationship with Jesus. In a youth ministry professor that I asked years ago about what determines those who follow Christ well through college and beyond, and one of the things he said is that they have a real relationship with Jesus See, we could grow up inside of Pam's ministry and inside of Diana's ministry and inside of Jermaine and Courtney's ministry. We could be in a private Christian school. We could be homeschooled. We could be public schooled and have influential Christian people in our lives in the public school. We can have all of that. We can go to the camps. We can do the mission trips. We can show up every Wednesday. We can be in the small groups and somehow still miss Jesus. And if we think, what a bummer for our students, we can do the same. We can show up every week. We can mindlessly come in here. We can do the thing we're supposed to do. We can serve because we're supposed to serve. We can be in a small group because they say we're supposed to be in a small group. And we can miss Jesus. Absolutely crucial is knowing Jesus. That's our prayers that that we know Jesus. Joseph is a young man that is a senior from San Antonio at the college where he goes. He's a leader in his campus ministry and when he showed up on that campus as a freshman four years ago he did not know Jesus in the way we just described. As a freshman he encountered Christ. And God changed his life. We so often hear about how kids go off the rails at college. I want to tell you about kids who come to Christ at college. And Joseph, this young man, came to Christ. And over the last three years, he's had the opportunity. God's allowed him to be a part of five other students coming to Christ. The last one is an Indian student that the university put him with uh, as a roommate. And they started studying the Bible together. And through this ministry, through that Bible study, this Sikh Indian, trusted Jesus just recently. See, people are coming to Christ all over our college campuses. We have friends that lead an organization called Stumo, uh, and it's a a really cool discipling organization. This last semester at Texas State University, they saw 11 students just by being relational, hanging out with them, spending time with them, talking about the gospel with them, seeing 11 students come to Christ. One of them was a young lady who was reluctant. She had an overwhelming freshman year, and and she was just trying to sort through all that happened to her in her freshman year of college. As they discipled her, and she was reluctant to surrender and give herself to Jesus. Finally, she wrote down for herself the things that she was afraid she didn't want to give up some things. So she wrote out the things that she was afraid she was going to lose. And then she wrote out the benefits of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And when she wrote that out and she saw it, she was willing to give up everything and go hundred percent in on Jesus. See, I think what she's doing is what a lot of people do. I think we're afraid that we're going to have to give up something we really like to follow Jesus. And as I was reminded the other day, there's no middle ground with the gospel. Jesus is looking for all in. He's not looking for partial in and then I wanna kinda do my thing for a while. Jesus is looking for deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. That's what Jesus is after. And I love that on our college campuses that we're seeing students coming to faith again and again. How do we maintain that ongoing relationship uh, with Jesus, there's a few things I would encourage our students on, they're already doing, and I would encourage us on. In Proverbs 4:23, it says, "Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart, your, your heart. You have Christ. now watch over it. be resolved. Guard your heart. Guard your heart that you 're not a drifter, that it doesn't grow hard, that it's not deceived. How do we do that? We do that by maintaining an ongoing intimate relationship with Jesus. It's carving out space to be alone with him and enjoy him and delight in him and his word, prayer. It's Proverbs 13 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. It's being with community with other people who are following Jesus. Who's the foolish person? The scripture says it's the one who says there is no God. And I would add to that the foolish person is the one who says they're a follower of Jesus, but they're not really following him. So we pray that our students will actively pursue community as soon as they move to whatever's next for them, that they'll find peers, that they'll actively seek mentors, that they'll get involved in ministries, that they'll find a church. On most every campus I know, there are churches that are excelling at working with college students. It's just a matter of doing it. Can we cheer on our students? Can we also think about, and I think it's a cool way for us to think about our own work. What if our students had such a God mindset that in their textbooks, that they're looking for God there? Not just in our Bibles, but look for him in our textbooks. What if I'm in my biology or chemistry class, and as I read, I am in awe of God that he could do this kind of detail? What if I was stunned every time I read history and watched how God has orchestrated and sovereignly moved through history? What if every time I read my sociology book or my psychology book and thought, wow, that's unbelievable how God made the mind. And that's incredible. The cultures that God has made uh, and the differences in the cultures and the beauty of it. And that one day he's going to gather up every tribe, tongue and nation as one before him. What if I saw God in my textbooks and on my computer screen? And what if I saw God through the people that I see and my heart breaks for some and rejoices with others? Oh, we just cheer them on. So ongoing relationship with Jesus. Our identity is in Christ. We're rooted in Christ. When we have a willing heart, a changed heart, then we have a willing service that we do. We're talking about being gifted. It comes by being rooted in Christ first. Now we understand we've been given gifts. We're radically generous and we're radical servants. How did that play out In the building of the tabernacle in chapter 35, verse 10, let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So there's skills that God has given to people to build and to do craftsmanship. In verse 20, he goes on uh, in chapter 35, I'm sorry, verse 30, says, Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord's called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I appreciate Mercedes' courage uh, in reading this passage of scripture. This is not a simple uh, passage. I want you to lock on, not to all the after things of Bezalel, but Bezalel. I want you to hear Bezalel and a holy ab. Bezalel and Aholiab. And this is what God did with these two guys. He filled him with the Spirit of God in verse 31, in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. He took these two guys. They're not teachers. They're not hospitality people. Uh, They're not preschool people. Uh, They're not uh, any of the other kind of giftings we've talked about. They're skilled in craftsmanship. And God filled them with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't on every believer at that time. God would bring the Spirit on people for particular tasks at particular times. It's only after Christ and the Spirit came that we received the Spirit. The Spirit came on them for craftsmanship and for skill and gave them wisdom and understanding to do that which He wanted to do to make designs in verse 32 and then the cutting of stones in verse 33, the carving of wood so as to perform in every inventive work. Verse 34, he also has put in his heart to teach both he and Aholiath, Bezalel and Aholiath. Now here's craftsmen that he also put it in their heart to teach, to pass on their craft, to pass on what they're good at, to pass on what the spirit of God is empowering. And I love this because I I just see that's how God works. He's designed us to pass on our giftings for the benefit of other people. And he does that with craftsmanship and with skill. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says that Ezra set his heart. It means he was resolved. He set his heart to study God's word, to practice it, and then to teach it. On one of our campuses in Texas, a junior college, there's a young lady named Yamil, Maddie, Kara, and Liz. Maddie and Kara had a desire to be discipled and disciple others, but they had no idea how to do it. So they found Yamil. Yamil taught them how to lead others to follow Jesus. Maddie then took Kara and continued to teach Kara. And then Maddie encouraged Kara to get Liz and to teach her. In less than two years on a two-year campus, four generations of discipleship, just passing on what's been given to me. Now we do that in our teaching. We also do that in our craftsmanship and whatever our gifts are, we pass it on. So they're passing this on. In our church, Evan Hafferty leads uh, so much of the creative uh, work and building that goes on. Uh, Rusty Rieger works with him. Those guys are phenomenal. Jack Condon's in here. He's in my notes, not just because he's sitting in front of me. Jack does so much work around here that you see that's crossed. There's multiple things they do. Joe Yilda, uh, he leads out in multiple... you're in my notes also. It's not just because I see you. Um, Joe does things in our community and leads a team of people. There are a number of others that do that. Randy Wynn uh, in our church. He's done things all over the world. Uh, using his craftsmanship and that kind of ability uh, to build uh, for people, uh, Aaron Burnett in our church has just led an incredible design of our missionary house for when our missionaries come. Uh, Amy Latham in our church, phenomenal at design. There are so many people that are craftsmen, work with wood, uh, designers, inventive, creative. And God leads by his spirit on what that looks like, so that those things are used to glorify him. See, there are all kinds of ways for us to use our giftings in the body of Christ. Uh, In chapter 36, everybody did it, uh, and everyone whose heart stirred him to come to work to perform it, they did it. They did the work. So whether it's some kind of craftsman, woodwork, Design, there's a willing service to use it for God's glory and the building up of the body. See, God has gifted people for every aspect of what he wants done. We don't have to do everything. Do the thing he's gifted us to do. That builds up the body. It's another young lady in our church, and she uh, uh, is at a campus in Alabama, uh, and God has given her a heart uh, for those who are being trafficked. Uh, And on her campus, she's helped start a ministry, and raising funds. She's engaged the president of the university to get involved uh, with it and to give it more uh, support and backing. There are so many things going on on our campus today where students are doing that thing where God has skilled them To do it there's big college serve days many of you might have participated in those those are ways to use these kind of skills on those big college serve days in the communities and in ongoing ways Uh, there's a willing heart and a willing service but in our culture today I think there's a third thing we need to talk about so that we actually live out that resolve to follow God's heart. And that resolve will require a willing courage. This will not happen, a life of following Jesus with no middle ground, just I'm in on Jesus or I'm not. That that will require courage. To serve and use our giftings for the sake of God's glory and the building up of other people, that will require courage. I was looking at sports the other day uh, and I saw this picture uh, of Will Levi. He's a quarterback at Penn State for a little bit and then I think he's at Western Kentucky now. Um, One, his bicep is to be admired. I mean, it's. It's impressive weight room work right there. And he's gonna need to maintain that for a lifetime. That's the risk people are taking with these tattoos uh, because that thing ain't gonna fit on a smaller bicep. It's gonna need to, so that's great motivation for him for a lifetime. Uh, to work out. But St. Chronicles 15 7 is what he tattooed on the inside of his bicep uh, and I didn't know that verse. He didn't go with the common ones that we see people do uh, a lot of times. And so I looked that up uh, and I found it encouraging for what we're thinking about right now. Uh, it says, but you be strong and do not lose courage for there's reward for your work. A willing heart at least a willing service and it requires a willing courage to live that out. Don't lose courage. We're told multiple times in Scripture to be courageous, to not lose heart, because our tendency will be to lose heart. Someone gave me a book a couple weeks ago called Faithfully Different by Natasha Crane. I'm just getting started in it. It's a book on worldview and kind of describing what's going on uh, around us I think some things are obvious sometimes it's helpful to have a little insight underneath it but at the beginning she talks about a secular worldview and a biblical worldview and they, she cited four different studies to figure out what the percentage of people are that have a biblical worldview today and I actually think the bar by which they did this survey it's good but i don't even think it's that high of a bar for a biblical worldview for the survey's sake and part of what a biblical worldview is based on this survey uh, is that you believe the bible is true that it's inerrant that you believe in absolute moral truth i guess those really are big deals in our day That you believe that Jesus lived a sinful life. That you believe that God is powerful and he created all that is. That you believe that Satan is a real being. There's a sixth one that keeps slipping me. But uh, these are basically the thoughts on if you have a biblical worldview or not. If you believe this for this survey's sake, then you have a biblical worldview. their their most optimistic estimate is that 29% of people in churches not our culture not not America as a whole in our churches us right now at best 29% hold a biblical worldview and they actually believe it's more around nine or ten percent that that's actually the more reliable thought. I would like to believe because we teach out of the Bible, and you're here, that our percentage here is much higher than that. But I really don't know because I haven't sat down with every one of you and asked you, Connor, do you believe Bibles in air? Believe in absolute moral truth? We haven't walked through. Let's talk about that for a few minutes, not just yes or no questions. And what she says is, I'm making this point so that you know you're clearly the minority today with a biblical worldview. Now, I think we practically have figured that out. But she says, I'm not talking about you're a minority in the culture. You're a minority in the church if you have a biblical worldview. Now, that could be discouraging. In the midst of all the cultural chaos, to think that even in my church, I'm a minority if I believe the things about God that I say I believe. Which, by the way, a biblical worldview question, I won't go there. That could be discouraging. That could cause us to remove the tattoo. we don't want to. We can take courage. In my time with the Lord this week, I was reading about David and Goliath in First Samuel. And it, it's a familiar story to many of us. Um, some it may not be. But David was not yet the second king of Israel. He was a young man somewhere probably between 15 and 19 years old. Like our high school graduates. And he was not on the front lines of the battle. There was this giant Philistine named Goliath that was um, taunting the Israelite army. They were all afraid. Nobody was willing to fight him. And David's dad sends him to take some things to the front line to his brothers. And this says something about David's character. He ran. He ran to the battle line he didn't like check it out he didn't sheepishly stand back he wasn't assessing it he ran to the battle line and he he saw what was going on and he listened to this guy defying and taunting his god and he didn't like it and he came back and he asked are we going to let this happen are we really going to let this guy taunt god Is this what we're going to do? You're young. Just keep it down. You you don't understand. He's too big. He'll wipe us out. No chance. We're out. We need something to happen here because it ain't going to be us. David said, I'll do it. I'll take him. You can't do that. You're just a youth. Well, I killed the lions and the bears when they tried to get the sheep. The same way God delivered me from them, he'll deliver me from him. He'll take care of this for me. Okay. Let's put on some big armor on you to make sure you're okay out there. Stuff that doesn't fit. He couldn't really move in that. He said, yeah, I'm out on this. He took off the armor. Instead, I'll take five stones in a sling. That actually fits me for this battle. He didn't need five. He runs to the battle line. Goliath is like, really? This is all you got? But at the outset of this story, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says God's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. And he knows the heart of David. And David slings that stone, takes out the Philistine. Goliath goes down. He goes and stands over. This is a great kid's story. Goes and stands over him and cuts his head off. That's really not the part of the story I want you to grab. (laughs) None of what I just said. One young man had the courage to not allow his God to be defied. You know what happened next? This is what I want us to focus on. The Philistine army fled. Guess who all of a sudden got excited and got in the battle? The Israelites the ones who are cowering in fear, now stand up and shout and start running down the enemy. And what struck me as I read that this week was, it just took one to have courage. And when one had courage, then the masses followed. And there will be times for our students and times for us where we're just the one. And will we stand in courage when it's one? It's much easier when we have a group. We watch that out in settings, right? When people are in a group, they're really bold. But peel them off by themselves. And is there that same boldness and that same courage? And if we're going to follow Christ in the day and time in which we live, then we need to have a lot of ones that will not shrink back, that will not waver they will have courage. They will hear First Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youth, but rather in your speech, your conduct, your faith, your love, your purity. Show yourself to be an example to all who believe. Lead us, be the one. In the meantime, Let's do the same. Lead with courage from a heart that's been captivated by Christ and that will serve radically, generously, no matter how menial the task, that we serve like Jesus. A willing heart a willing service a willing courage the resolve today is to follow god's heart let's pray together father thank you for uh, just the the power and strength of your word today i love god the picture of uh, what you did uh, in the building of your tabernacle the establishing of your people that you stirred hearts, willing hearts, and uh, and God, that you gave people skills and you brought people along with them. And and Father, I thank you that uh, in the same way in our church body, that there are so many uh, that have willing hearts to follow after you, to serve you, to love you. And, and God, I thank you that you've captivated us by what you've done on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And, and, and God, that you've stirred our hearts for a love for you, God. And Father, I pray that uh, just as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that uh, that our hearts would be first given to you. And then God, when you totally have hold of our hearts, I pray God that, that we might follow you wholeheartedly, devotedly, that we'd be the one, that we'd be the Davids with courage, that we'd be the Esthers with courage, that we'd be the Ruths with courage, that we would be uh, the people of God who love you and who will serve you and follow you no matter what what, whether I have anybody around me on my campus or not on my campus, whether anybody in my work or not in my work today, I'm going to follow you and nobody's going to taunt you. Nobody's going to defy you. You're the God of the, of the armies of Israel. You're the God uh, of all creation. Everything is yours and we're going to worship you. We're going to follow you. You can do whatever you want to us, but we're not going to bow down to anything else. Our heart is yours, God. I pray that you'd put a fresh resolve in us today to, to follow you wholeheartedly. And apart from you stirring our hearts, God, we're not even capable of that. So I pray, would you stir our hearts afresh? Would you stir our thinking? Would you stir our emotions? Would you stir our actions? everything, God, for you today. And I pray, Lord, that we'll not be middle ground, that we'll be all in, 100% like that Texas State student that looked at it and said, I'm in. I'm willing to give up everything that I think is a benefit over here to follow you, Jesus. And and God, I pray you use her to lead so many others. And thank you, God, for so many like Bethany that are that are going overseas this summer uh, and serving in missions and have done so in past summers or given their lives away on their campuses for the sake of other people and the glory of your name, God. And I pray all across our land that you continue to gather up your own on our campuses and that there be ones that have no idea when they enter that campus this fall that they're about to be encountered by you. I pray, God, that our students would be wide open to be the ones who are bringing about those encounters with a boldness and a courage. Thank you for the way they've been equipped. And I pray, God, you'll help us to know how to continue. Uh, to walk with them and Lord we're just grateful today for your goodness towards us that we even get to gather here and be a part of the lives of these that you have meticulously woven and worked to this point and that you'll do moving on so thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing and I pray God all across the land that we'd be woven together as a beautiful picture of Jesus the bride of Christ and Father, I pray your name will be honored through all of us. As we sing this morning, Father, I pray that with all of our emotion and our mind that we would fixate uh, on you today and that our worship would end on you. And then however you want to flow it through us, please uh, do so as we go. And I pray that in Jesus' name.